All right. Good morning, everybody. Now, the question is, would you have done any different, right? If you were in the elevator, what would you have done? And you had no idea that you were on Candid Camera. Anybody remember the show, Candid Camera, the TV show, right? Not watching YouTube clips, but the actual show uh, on TV. So uh, this is one, it's definitely a lesson in the power of influence. It is human nature to follow others, isn't it? It is human nature to look around us and say, well, that must be right because everybody else is doing it. And it's not just on a candid camera show or anything like that. It starts from very young, from our childhood, doesn't it? You remember all the way back to when you were kids and from the earliest age, you start looking around you and, and, and you look at what other kids are, are wearing and, and how they're acting and, and how they talk. And we're already seeing this in our son. He just finished kindergarten. He's coming home with some interesting language. And I'm like, where did you learn that, right? We want to follow the crowd. We assume and we look around us in elementary, junior high, high school, we start looking around us and say, everybody else is, is doing it. That must mean that I should do it, right? Not just turning to the left or the right or putting my hat, hat but that is a, a, definitely an illustration for life. And it doesn't end in our childhood, does it? It continues right on up. You see college students acting very similar, wearing similar things, and they're like, oh, well, certainly we grow out of that when we're adults, right? How many times have you looked down the street and said, oh, they got a new car. You look in your own driveway and say, maybe I could upgrade a little bit, right? Or you, you kind of, oh, they bought that house, right? Or they have that job. Or what are they dressing that way? Or their marriage is like that. It's easy to kind of look around and compare. It's easy to fall in line. It feels vulnerable to stand alone. Maybe one of the reasons that we do this is because it takes some courage to stand out in the crowd. It's safer to blend in, to go along with the crowd. It's one thing to follow, and it's quite entirely another thing to lead. And today, I don't want to talk to you so much about falling in line and blending in. I want to talk to you about the exact opposite. I want, you to, I want to talk to you this morning about the power of leadership rather than following the crowd. Leadership seems like a pretty loaded word. Probably just me mentioning that word. Some of you are like, oh, oh, that's not me. This sermons must not be for me then, right? It's a loaded word, a pretty daunting idea, I'm guessing, for a lot of you. Case in point, imagine just for, for a moment that I walked up to you in, in, individually this morning and I looked you in the eyes and I just said, with, with all sincerity, I said, you are a powerful leader, right? How many of you would kind of give me that like Norwegian, Scandinavian, Midwestern, ah, shucks attitude, right? No, I'm not. You've got the wrong person. I'm not a leader. I mean, I know leaders, right? Leaders are like, well, not me, right? Leaders are all those other people. It certainly can't be me. Another illustration, if I stood up here and, you know, we're always looking, starting new ministries here, asking for new volunteers, and sometimes we ask for leaders. Imagine I stood up here and I said, hey, we are starting a new ministry here at the church, and I was wondering, uh, would anybody want to volunteer to help lead that ministry and be a leader for that? How many, how many hands do you think would go up in that, right? Two, like there are right now, right? Now imagine I changed that a little bit and I said, we're starting a new ministry here at the church and we could use some people that want to make an impact and have an influence and make a difference in this world. Anybody interested, right? Then all the hands go up, right? Isn't it interesting how just that word leader carries so much weight and unfortunately a lot of baggage just in the difference of language there. I'm guessing we'd have quite a few hands go up for people that just want to make a difference and have influence. And that's why I believe that leadership is one of the most misunderstood and yet most important things in our world today. 
It doesn't take long. You can, you can scroll through your feed. You can watch the evening news. You can read the paper. You can just look around at what's going on in the world. Leaders can be powerful examples of love and compassion and integrity. On one extreme or on the other extreme, examples of corruption and greed and hate. Leadership is needed more than ever in our world today, in our families, in our communities, in our nation. And we know that any, you look throughout human history, we know that any real progress, any real change, any great deeds were done, not by people who blended in, not by people who just looked around and, and looked at what everybody else was doing and say, well, I'll just go fall in line and that seems like the right thing to do. I'll take my hat off, I'll turn to the right, I'll turn to the left, but by people who said, no, it doesn't matter if everybody's going that way. This is the right thing to do. Real change and sustainable change needs to go that way. And so I'm going to take a step of faith, even at the risk of failure. That's what leaders do, and they led the way. And yet with all of that, most of us would not call ourselves leaders. Am I right in that? A lot of us wouldn't identify that, yes, that is one of the main things about my life is I am a leader. And I think the reason of that is what I want to propose to you today is that I think, unfortunately, unintentionally or not, we have placed leadership on such a high, unattainable pedestal that our image of what it means to be a leader is so unattainable that it has robbed us, particularly as followers of Jesus, of one of the primary calls in our lives, and that is to be servant leaders. And so my prayer today, this is where we're going, this is my desire, is that when you walk out those doors today when we're done, that not only would you believe that you are a leader, but that you have passion and motivation in your heart to go and be a servant leader in whatever context and mission field that God has called you. And to dig into that a little bit, we're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. We're going to get to our scripture reading a little bit, but we're going to start in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. If you need one, they're on the bookshelves all around the worship center. Take one, take 17. That's our gift to you. Pull out your Bible app on your phone, whatever you got. Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to start in verse 13. Matthew's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're new to the Bible, that's great. We love it that you're here. About three-fourths of the way through the Bible are the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is giving one of his most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's on a mount where he's giving a sermon. It tells you what's going on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And he's kind of, this is his inaugural address. This, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. Verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Everybody say salt. salt. Not only salt, but you're called to be light. Verses 14 and 15, let's read them together nice and loud up on the screen. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So why, why does Jesus choose these two analogies, two of the most ordinary things that we see around us, salt and light? Why would Jesus choose those to describe us as his followers? Well, let's take them one at a time. What do we know about salt? Salt is a, uh, used to, to, to preserve uh, food and things like that, but maybe the main reason that we use salt is to bring what? Flavor and taste, right? 
Jesus is saying that when Christians show up, wherever followers of Jesus are, we are called to bring taste and flavor to the world around us. And I don't know if that's always the case. I think a lot of times in our world, the, the way that at least Christianity is portrayed, it's like, oh, the Christians are here. Shut down the fun, right? What if, what if instead we actually live that out and whenever Christians showed up, it'd be like, oh, good, the Christians are here. Yes, right? Because we're bringing taste and flavor and substance and meaning to wherever we go. Why would it be any different with us in the church? But then you think about light. Jesus, you, you, you're the light of the world. We know that even the smallest glimmer of light can light up a dark room. We are surrounded in a world of darkness. And so Jesus says, don't hide it. Jesus says, I want my followers to stick out. I want my followers to make an impact, to, to influence the world around them, not to just blend in to where you say, well, I can't tell who the Jesus followers are and who they aren't. We should stick out. We should be the ones going in the other direction, not the ones that are just hook, line, and sinker going along with everybody else in the elevator. And notice what it says. This is one of the amazing things about this passage. If you know the context a little bit, there's no asterisk on there that says, oh, this whole like influence thing of salt and light, you know, that's just for those that think they're leaders. There's no qualifier that says it's only for those who are in organizational leadership in your job or, or have certain titles or salt and light. That's just for bosses and managers and CEOs or in the church, you know, that's just the call for the pastor or the worship leader or those up on stage. If we know the context, it's going to change the way we see this passage. Jesus is giving the sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is out kind of in the fields in the countryside on the outside of town. Who is Jesus speaking to when he gives this address? The poor, the outcast, the ordinary people of the world. And he chooses them to say, you are salt and light. You are called to have an influence and live a life of impact in the world around you. By no coincidence, Listen to how leadership is defined by one of the leading leadership experts, at least in Christian circles, who's written many books about it, an author by the name of Ken Blanchard. He says this in a book called Lead Like Jesus. He defines leadership this way. Leadership happens anytime that we influence the thinking, behavior, or development of another person. What if leadership wasn't this unattainable thing for a few, but rather a calling for all? especially followers of Jesus. And it turns out not only are we called, all called to be leaders in some capacity as Christians, we are called to be a very specific kind of leader. And for that, turn a couple pages to the gospel of Mark. We're doing a little tour through the gospels here this morning. A little Bible study for you here today. So gospel of Matthew, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. So the very next book over, Mark chapter 10. Set the stage a little bit. The disciples have been hanging out with Jesus for quite some time. Sermon on the Mount was at the beginning of the ministry. Now we're skipping ahead a few years. And Jesus has been hanging out with the disciples, let's say, for a couple years now. They've watched him heal the sick and, and, and do amazing miracles and everything like that. And now watch what happens. I love the disciples, but sometimes they just stick their foot in their mouth a little bit. All right? Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said. Let me pause right there. If you had the chance to ask Jesus one question, what would it be? Like, 
am I going to be with you in heaven forever? Am I going to see my loved ones again? Is, is my dog going to be like, you know, big questions of life. Is my dog going to be in heaven? Whatever like that, right? These guys have one chance to ask Jesus a big question. And they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Did they just have a moment of insanity where they forgot they were talking to God? Like, who are these guys, right? And then they go on to say, here's our request, sir. We would like, when we get to heaven, you know, when we're reigning with you forever, for eternity, we would like to sit on your right and left. Jesus, could you arrange that? You know, I know you've got three, three years to save the world uh, for eternity, but could you make sure that we're sitting next to you in those prominent positions? If I'm Jesus, I'm like, oh, come on, guys, right? Come on, right? We've been together all this time, and this is what you, I would be so frustrated. And yet Jesus, in his infinite patience, skip down to verse 42, he says this. So Jesus called them together, which is kind of, Biblical language for Jesus saying, okay, guys, let's go. Huddle up. Team meeting here, right? Pull it together. Literally a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And then here's the key verse. Let's read it together up on the screen. Verse 43. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. What is Jesus saying to us this morning? If you are a leader in any capacity, which I believe that all of us are because all of us have influence, okay? Can we just run with that for a second? Just entertain that thought, okay? Whether it's in business, as a parent, in your family, as a grandparent, in the community, here in the church, God has not given you your position of leadership to lord it over others, but instead to be the chief servant wherever you show up and help others grow. Jesus flips the org chart of the world upside down and says, actually, those who want to be great go to the bottom of the org chart so that they can lift others up. Do you have that view of leadership? Or is it all about you? Is it all about getting your needs met? You want to be great? You want to make a real impact? Start by lifting others up and saying, not what I can I get out of it, but by serving others. And then as a great leader, Jesus does this. Great leaders don't just talk the talk, they walk the talk, right? A few chapters later, Jesus gathers disciples together in the upper room for the Last Supper. And what does Jesus do? He gets down on his hands and feet with a towel and a basin full of water. And he washes the disciples' feet, a task that was designated for the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants. And who's doing it? God. Literally, God in flesh. Why does Jesus do that? So that there is no doubt in the minds of the disciples and in our mind, leadership in the kingdom of God looks different. Our power as followers of Jesus does not come through title and position and power in this world, our power to change people's lives comes through the spirit of the living God living inside of us and the power of love. Amen? That's where it comes from. That's how people's lives are changed. According to Jesus, spiritual maturity is not about arriving at some position. It's about being the chief servant. Another way of looking at this in kind of some hope language, and maybe you've seen this before, but this is a graphic called the Hope Circle. 
called the Hope Circle. Maybe some of you have seen this before, but the idea here is that it's sort of a visual representation of what we're about as a church. We're not about just doing events and classes and programs. We're about a process, a process of becoming more like Jesus. And at the end of that circle, you see the words servant leader, because that's the target. We're not just trying to be busy for Jesus. We're trying to become like Jesus, and our leader is a servant. So the more mature we get on our spiritual journeys, the more we look like Jesus, the more service we do. And so people are at different places of their spiritual journey. One's not better than the other, but think about it like a, like a journey. Some people, some of you are here this morning, and you would say, I'm just seeking. I'm, I'm a seeker. And not about putting labels on people. It's just saying, this is where I'm at. I've got some questions about faith. I've got some questions about the Bible. And that's okay. All of us are at different places, and we love that hope is a church where people can come and have doubts and have questions, and that's okay. Some of you would say, no, 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 John, John, I, I believe. I, I, I receive it. I, I, I put my faith and my hope in Jesus Christ. You'd say, I'm a believer. But then the journey of following Jesus is a movement of faith from the head to the heart to our hands. We don't want following Jesus to just be kind of like an intellectual exercise, Right? We want to do it. And so we want to grow from being kind of a, just I just believe in Jesus to I'm following him every single day. And as we follow him, we become more like a servant leader. What does that tell us? The most mature people at Hope are not those who know the most, but those who love the most. Those who have the posture of a servant leader wherever they go. And what do you notice about the path after servant leader? Where does it go? Now, you don't, like, denounce your faith and become a seeker again, right? You know what you do? You go get other people and bring them along for the ride. Servant leaders do not have the mindset of, well, <laughs> I've been in church for 15, 20, 30 years now. I've done all the Bible studies and groups. I've taken the classes, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, Jesus. Thank you very much. Servant leaders say, who else needs to come along for the ride? I I'm just looking around saying, I, I, I want to invite you. I, I want to bring you along with you. I who needs to sit in that empty chair next to me? Who, who needs an invitation to VBS? I, I'm going to bring you along. Let's take that class together. I'll pick you up at seven. Let's go together. Servant leaders are tour guides, not travel agents. And sometimes Christians turn into travel agents. They sit down with you and say, look at where you can go in your faith. You can grow and, and take all these classes and groups and be more like Jesus and serve and be active in the church. But you just go right ahead. I'm going to stay where I'm at. I've heard it's great. That's what travel agents do. Tour guides say, let's go together. And they put their arm around you and they go together, walking side by side. Be a tour guide, not a travel agent, as a servant leader. Come along, let's do it together. If servant leadership is about giving ourselves away, then the opposite would be consuming. When we talk about Jesus as a servant leader, another way to look at that is we kind of have this delineation that Jesus is making. We have servant leaders, but the opposite of that is consumers, which is deadly for the church. And you start to look at the way that Jesus talks about leadership and, and our posture and how that's called to be as followers of Jesus, and it sets up some very clear distinctions. Consumers say, what's in it for me? How do I get my needs met, essentially? Servant leaders, on the other hand, say, how can I bless others? Every time I walk in those doors, my primary question is not who's preaching or what songs are we going to sing or I hope the service isn't boring today. When I walk in those doors, Jesus says, 
the, the prayer, the desire of our hearts is, who can I bless today? Who needs a high five? Who needs a hug? Who needs a knuck, right? Who needs a prayer? Who needs to get lifted up? How can I contribute to the mission? That's the heart of a servant leader. I want to bless others. Consumers, on the other hand, when, when they hear that there's a need, when there's a need in the world around them, in their family, in their community, in their church, they say, well, I, I, someone else will do it. I'm sure, I'm sure someone will, right? Growing up in our family, when it was time for my brother and I to do the chores, my mom's like, somebody needs to vacuum, somebody needs to clean up the kitchen. My brother and I would kind of sarcastically go, somebody, somebody, right? And my mom would always say, I don't think somebody lives here, okay? I don't know that person, okay? You do it, right? Servant leaders, on the other hand, instead of somebody else will do it, they say, if not me, then who? Servant leaders see the need and meet the need. There's no, that's not my department or I'm above that. Jesus was not above serving and so neither are we. Consumers, when it comes to time, everybody's busy. Consumers just simply say, you know what? I don't have time. And usually that's based out of fear. That's based out of, I don't want to be vulnerable. That's based out of, I don't want to inconvenience my schedule or my agenda or my priorities. Servant leaders, on the other hand, say, well, this is important. I'm going to make time. Because we make time for what's important to us. Think about it in kind of a practical sense. My wife and I, Tiffany, have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, as you know. And imagine that we went up to Caleb and Evie just some week on a Monday, and he said, okay, kids, uh, new plan for this week. You know, we are the, the, the leaders of your home, as your mom and your dad were the servant leaders of your house. But we think, you know, you're six and you're four. You've grown up enough now. We're kind of exhausted from this whole parenting thing. We're going to take the week off from servant leadership, and you guys just figure it out, right? How would that go, do you think? Feed yourselves, clothe yourselves, get yourself to school, right? Whatever, take yourself to swimming lessons. It would be sheer chaos in our home, okay? Why would it be any different in God's house? Why would it be any different in God's family? Jesus is looking for servant leaders. Jesus says consuming, consuming sounds so appealing, but it's never going to fill you up. It's, ne- it's always going to leave you empty. As followers of Jesus, servant leadership isn't something we do. It's someone we are. We don't take off our hat of service as followers of Jesus. It's wherever we go. Think about it this way in another visual sense. Sometimes I think as Christians, unfortunately, what we do is that we divide up our lives into kind of sacred and secular components, almost like a, like a pie chart. Think of a picture of that on the screen, you think about it, you can see it up there, so I won't draw it all in, but a lot of times what we do as is, is Christians is we divide up our lives into kind of God and non-God areas or sacred and secular components. And just like it says up there, we have our friends and our relationships, we have that slice of our lives and we have rest and sleep and we could always use more of that. And then we have work and school and our recreation, our health and our family. And then what we do sometimes after we get all of other priorities met and fill up our calendars and our schedules, we say, Oh, yeah, Um, let me squeeze in a little chunk of the pie, and we'll call this chunk of the pie faith, or church, or for our case today, serving. If you ask the early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts who had just seen Jesus come back from the dead, and for the first time were called Christians, what 
what piece of your life pie is servant leadership? They would laugh out loud. That would, they would be so confused by your question. Because being a servant leader, you're, the, the place of faith in our lives isn't a slice of the pie. It's in every aspect, every part of our lives. And so the, the call for us as followers of Jesus, wherever you find yourself, be who you are, where you are. Jesus says in John 17, my, my, my prayer isn't that, that you would take them out of the world as he's praying to his father. It's that you would protect them while they're in. Don't remove them from all these different compartments of their lives. And so instead of servant leadership being some unattainable a task, think about the meaning that this brings to your entire week. Now it's no longer, how do I get through the work week so that I, I hear people say, oh, I can't wait for Saturday night or Sunday worship so I can get my Jesus fix on. Part of me is like, if I went to Jesus, I'm going to get my Jesus fix on. He'd be like, okay, or just be in a relationship with me, right? Every day, right? You've all heard the, the song about trying just to get to the weekend. Now, don't make me sing alone. Follow along here, right? Everybody's working. We're not going to start a choir anytime soon. I'll tell you that. I'm just kidding. What if you didn't have to? What if you didn't have to just slug through your week and all the other parts of your life so you could get your Jesus on on the weekend? Jesus is like, I'm already there. I'm in all those other places. Kind of a goofy way of looking at this. I saw this commercial. It's, it's an older commercial from monster.com about job, you know, a job site, and job placement and things like that. Take a look at this. Just use your imaginary hat for a second. And as you watch this, think about, am I living into my potential? as a servant leader, wherever God's called me, even at work. Take a look. Your calling is calling out to you. Now, disclaimer, please don't go tweet or post on Facebook that your pastor thinks that storks drop off babies on people's porches, okay? Some of you are expectant mothers and you're like, I would take that in a heartbeat right now, okay? This whole nine, nine month thing is miserable, right? I don't believe that. Here's what I do believe. I don't believe that God literally moved heaven and earth and sent his son Jesus to live and die, to literally defeat sin, death, and the power of hell so that you could play it safe. So that you could limit your faith and your servant leadership to one little isolated hour of your week in a church building. We are seriously underestimating the power of God. I'm not even talking, I know some of you are in jobs and in positions that are completely unideal. That you're like, this isn't a great season for me at all, John. My job is boring. It's unfulfilling. Might passion and meaning be released back into your life if you realize that Jesus is already at your job and he has prepared the hearts of the people sitting around you, whether your job is ideal or not, for you to be the salt and the light to a world around you? How much, how much meaning and purpose would that release back into every aspect of your week? Don't play it safe. Don't just get through your week. I love this wisdom from one of the great Christian pastors and authors, one of my favorite writers, A.W. Tozer is his name, and he says this. It's not what a person does that determines whether their work is sacred or secular. It's why they do it. Think about that for a second. So many of us to say, well, these are the, the God components of my life, and then this is just kind of regular life. I don't believe that there is a secular job out there. 
for followers of Jesus. Because wherever you go, the power of the living God goes with you. Servant leadership, servant leadership isn't an option. It's our identity. God is already there working on our behalf. And in that case, as a Christian, I want to learn all I can about leadership, right? I want to learn everything I can. And, and there's so much, I mean, you Google leadership, you Google servant leadership, you're going to get 20 million responses, right? And there's books and there's blogs and there's articles and there's podcasts. And I've read a lot of them and I've listened to a lot of them. But I have to say, and I'm not saying this because, well, he's the pastor and you should probably say this. The best book, the best resource that I've ever seen on being a servant leader is the one that you're holding in your hands this morning or the one that's hidden in your phone. And it's God's word. And it's not just the latest idea about leadership that somebody tweeted 20 seconds ago. It is timeless wisdom for us as servant leaders. And I don't think there's any better example of that than the book that we've been in the last few weeks, First and Second Samuel, together telling the story of David. We look at David's life, and as we kind of wrap up this sermon series today, Life Lessons from King David, I just want to end by pointing out a few timeless truths, some leadership wisdom that we have seen over the last few weeks from David's life. We've seen the rise and fall of Saul, and we've seen well, to be honest, the rise and fall of David. And yet I think we can identify with David so much because he's an imperfect leader, just like all of us. And so I want to look at just these four verses that were read for us earlier through the lens of leadership. I don't want to read, I don't want to read the Bible primarily as a history book or as some good moral lessons. I want to look at it this morning through the lens of leadership. It's easy to talk about leadership and hypotheticals. It's quite another thing when we put a face on it. And that's what I want to do. So if you have your Bibles, look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. We're just going to look at those four verses really quick. Verses 1 through 4. And we pick it up in verse 1. These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of a man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's Song. So just in verse 1, we get some great leadership lessons and we get a great summary of David's life. Remember, son of Jesse, right away there at the beginning, David was a nobody. He was a sheep herder on the outskirts of town that nobody knew about. And some of you this morning, in your job, in your family, in your work, in your community, wherever you are, you're feeling insignificant. You're feeling unseen. And a great reminder from David's story is that God is not looking for heroes. God is looking for men and women whose hearts are fully surrendered to him. That's what God's looking for. The next part, David says, I was exalted by the Most High. David did not go looking for a leadership platform. David did not go looking to be king. He waited for God to give him a platform. We live in a world today where everybody wants a platform. Everybody, I mean, that's social media, isn't it? Everybody's got a giant megaphone to the entire world, right? I want, a, I want a platform. Everybody wants to climb the ladder at work. Everybody wants that dream job. Everybody wants to get to that ideal spot. I, I want to find my calling. What if God's saying to you this morning, I'll worry about your calling. You focus on becoming the kind of person with the kind of character that can sustain your calling. You be faithful, God says, and leave the results up to me, whether it's your job as a stay-at-home parent, whatever context God has called you to. 
we keep going. David says, the sweet psalmist of Israel, right? Remember this awesome fact that we learned a couple weeks ago? David was not only the, the leader of the armies as a general, David was a warrior, but he was also a lover. He was also a musician. And, and what that reveals is that as David wrote most of the Psalms in the Bible you have in front of you, what that reveals is that David had this deep inner life with God. David as a leader had this intimacy with God. And what does that show us? Servant leadership is about having a private world that's consistent with your public persona. No, I don't think you got it. Let me say it again. Servant leadership is about having a private world that's consistent with what the world sees. Does what, does what people get line up with who you really are on the inside? There is a phrase that makes me cringe as a leader more than anything else and when I hear people say it in all different contexts, in the church and families and the community, oh, just do as I say, not as I do. Do as I say, not as I do. And we, we laugh and chuckle at that. We kind of play it off. Do you know how much damage that does to the people that are following you as an example? As a parent, as a grandparent, as a leader, as a manager at work to your friends, do as I say, not as I do? Absolutely not. I think about the people that have made the most impact on me. They were the real deal in public and in private. Their public life lined up with who they really are. And that was David, at least until the end, which we learned last week in his struggles with Bathsheba. We know David had his failures, right? And when you're a leader, the consequences are much higher. But don't forget, David is writing this in 2 Samuel chapter 23, after his life had fallen apart. This was after the adultery. This was after the murder. And yet, David finished well. The last leadership lesson that we get from David's life, it's not over till it's over. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not over till it's over. Tell them that right now. It's not over till it's over. David finished well, which is different than his son Solomon who came after him. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God's not done with you yet. Just let that sit with you for a second. Some of you are chained to the past because all, cute sermon, John, about servant leadership and leading. That's not me because you don't know what I did. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know the mistakes I made. I don't, but God does. And he says to you, he says to David, he says to us, Thousands of years later, God says, my ability to use you is not defined by your failure. It's defined by my faithfulness. If there is something that God has called you to, whether it's parenting or grandparenting or being an uncle or an aunt or being adoptive parents or leading here at church or stepping out in faith at work, whatever it is. If God calls you to something, he's going to equip you to do it. He's going to see you through to the very end. God's not done with you yet. Let that sit in. Believe it, not just here. Believe it in the deepest parts of who you are. You are not defined by your past. God is way bigger than that. Way bigger than that. If you learn anything from David's life, no one is beyond redemption. David says in verse 5, If my house were not right with God, surely he would have made me, not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. 
God made this covenant with David that says no matter what happens, no matter if you screw up, through your line, David, through the lineage of David, I am going to bring a Messiah. And you read in Matthew chapter 1 the lineage of David. Oh, wait, time out. God used a man that royally screwed up, no pun intended, royally screwed up as the king. And from that brokenness brought a carpenter from Nazareth to be the savior of the world. Don't tell me that God can't use you. Don't tell me that your story is over. The story of David is the story of us. An ordinary person who longed to do something significant to be used by God was called up into a larger story and by God's grace left a legacy. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Isn't that what all of us want? What we long for? And you can have that. And it starts by starting right where you are. Whatever part of the pie that you find yourself in, whatever context you find yourself in. And I know sometimes in, in the Bible, it's hard to relate to these great Bible heroes like David. But let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Start with where you are. Nobody knows that better than a gal named Joy that I want to introduce you to, to just tell her story here as we close. As a servant leader, she lives on the outskirts of Sacramento in, a, in an urban area that's very similar to ours right here. And as you watch this video, ask yourself, what would it look like for me to be a servant leader, to see the need and meet the need, right where God has placed me? Not when my season changes, not when life gets a little bit more ideal, but right where God has placed me. Let's take a look. This is the North Highlands area, just outside Sacramento. This used to be a very thriving area, springing from, mostly from McClellan Air Force Base. The base closed, and since the closure, the whole of the community economically was impacted because all the jobs left. I have been living in the vicinity of this area for close to 20 years. I was part of a ministry, but felt that there was more we could do to invest ourselves in the community around us. We looked around and noticed that every direction we looked in, there was an apartment complex. I felt I heard the Lord say, this is the place and these are the people. When we came here, Logan Park was riddled with crime, a lot of gang violence, child prostitution. There was a darkness different than the nighttime. I guess my preference is to be quiet, sitting at home reading a book, but the needs of others pulls me out of myself. Some of the needs of the community uh, here at Logan Park uh, include the basic needs of food and clothing. So once every week, we give our groceries, bags of groceries to everybody who comes, anyone who comes. And there were people who came by, like maybe Christmas, everybody wants to come and be a blessing around holidays. But they were just here and gone. Never a face, never a hand, never a heart that stayed. For us, the success is in being here. This is a life investment because Christ invested his life for us. Not from afar, but up close and personal.
He got into the mess with us. There's two quotes I want to highlight for you. The first one is this. I'd rather stay at home. I'd rather play it safe. But the needs of others pull me out of myself. That's the heart of a servant leader. Joy says, my call is not convenience. My call is not to things that are always pretty, that I can wipe my hands clean at the end of the day and said, great, I was a servant leader. My call is not to the kind of life where everything fits perfectly into my schedule. I was not made for more consuming. And then she says this phrase that has just stuck with me this week. And so I just decided, this is the place. These are the people. This is the place. These are the people. That's the heart of a servant leader. Whatever your pie chart looks like today, wherever God has called you to, instead of worrying about what's next and what's out there and if this is an ideal season or not, this is the place, these are the people. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step up and start leading my family spiritually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a listening ear at work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for that other parent that I'm sitting next to on the bleachers during the game. You know what? I might even try something new and volunteer for vacation Bible school this week. I might show up for one of these set painting days. I might volunteer for vacation Bible school. Maybe it's joining the food service team here, doing something you've never done before. This is the place. These are the people. I'm gonna move from this side of the chart as a consumer to this side of the chart as a servant leader. Don't wait to become who God has created you to be. You are a leader. Take the leap of faith. Amen? Amen. The band's gonna close us today and we're gonna sing a song called Build My Life. And I love there's a line in the middle of this song that I think speaks to directly what our prayer is today. It says, God, fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Wherever you are, wherever you're at, upstairs or downstairs, let's stand together and let's make this our prayer to God as we close.